0: everybody. Dr. Joe Vitale here with another Hypnotic Gold interview, and I'm so excited I can't sit still. One of the books I've been waiting for for months to come out has finally come out. It's called You Are Not Your Brain, and it's absolutely fascinating. It's a four-step solution for changing bad habits, ending unhealthy thinking, and taking control of your life. Uh, I'm already a fan of the author, Dr. Jeffrey Swartz. He had written a book called Brain Lock, and he had written a previous book, which I absolutely love which is called The Mind and the Brain, Neuroplasticity and the Power of Mental Force. But so when this new book came out, I was the first to review it on Amazon. I might have been the first to buy it. Who knows? And I like it so much. about the printed version, the Kindle version, and the audio version. And I went and found the author who I have online. Uh, Dr. Schwartz, are you there? I am here, Joe. Well, let me tell people who you are. Dr. Jeffrey Swartz is a medical doctor, research psychiatrist at UCLA School of Medicine and a researcher in the field of self-directed neuroplasticity and we will define that for you in a moment. He is the author of over 100 scientific publications in the fields of neuroscience and psychiatry and several popular books including the one I just mentioned, The Mind and the Brain, Neuroplasticity and the Power of Mental Force it came out in 2002. It might have been the best book I read in 2002. He also wrote Brain Lock, Free Yourself from Obsessive-Compulsive Behavior, in 1997. Because of these books, particularly Brain Lock, he's ended up on uh, national TV shows, including Oprah, 2020 Today Show, Donahue Liza. Uh, He was consultant to Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio on the movie The Aviator, and apparently he appears on the bonus DVD, which I've got to go back and look at. Uh Dr. Schwartz's primary research interest over the past two decades has been brain imaging and cognitive behavior therapy with a focus on the brain mechanisms and psychological treatment of obsessive-compulsive disorder otherwise known as OCD. Uh he goes on and on with a, a long biography. He's received an honors degree in philosophy from the University of Rochester. He began to devote a lot of time to the study of Buddhist philosophy in particular to the philosophy of mindfulness or conscious awareness, which plays a key role in the new book, You Are Not Your Brain. Uh, My goodness, he's created a four-step cognitive behavior therapy that he has pioneered, and it's actually capable of changing the activity in a specific brain circuit. Uh, we're going to be talking about all this and more. So, my goodness, I've got to shut up so this biography can go on forever. <laughs> Dr. Swartz, you are impressive. I didn't make in- him in-
1: read that, folks, by the <laughs> way. That was voluntary, completely <laughs> voluntary.
0: Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm a fan. <laughs> I am a promoter. I wrote the first review of your book on Amazon. And I don't go in there and review very many books. But this is how much your book and this four-step solution has impressed me. And just for the record, after I wrote it, you you wrote me and thanked me for it, which yes. led to me reaching out and saying, Well, can I interview you? That's how yes, I got me, here. That's
1: very true. Well, I mean, um it was a, you know, I, I I you know, as I just mentioned just before we, we came on the air here, I mean that's been my praise report, you know, for the, for this week. I mean, last night a Bible study, it was my praise report. Because, Is that right? Yes, because 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 um in fact I have another very good friend. Let me put a plug in for him. I have a few very good friends I might put plugs in here
0: sure. for
1: here. I have a very very good friend named uh, Steve Bridges, um you know, who goes to to my church, uh, Pacific Crossroads Church here in in Santa Monica, California. And um Go to stevebridges.com. I mean, he's been on the Leno show many, many, many times. Um, you know, he's one of the great impersonators. I mean, he he really made his name in a big way by being, you know, the impersonator of, of George W. Bush. But now he, he does Obama as well. And, and um, incredible makeup job, incredible, you know, incredible comedian. You know, mm-hmm. check him out on the website. But he's a very close friend of mine, and he had um, – you should like this, I hope – you're more in South Texas, but I mean, I I think you might be happy that your state has the NBA champions. Of course, and you know he had a party, you know, at his home on Sunday, and you know, you know, to watch the big game. And when I went over there, I, you know, pretty much the first thing I said to him, you know, because everybody's going, you know, the book came out June 9th, and you know, people are going, how's it going, how's it going, and and I said, well, you know, praise the Lord because I mean, you know. Joe Vitale there in, in Texas, man, <laughs> he wrote a review on right. Amazon, and let me tell you, we really did notice, you know, I prayed for that, I mean, I, you know, it started a little slow, I'm not going to tell people what those numbers were the first two days, you know, but but sure. I, I literally prayed, and I, you know, I said, y- you know, Lord, if it be thy will, You know, I mean, I'm not going to, you know, I don't really, Mm -hmm. I I do intercessionary prayer, but, you know, I'm not huge on intercessionary prayer. I mean, maybe that's something we could talk about in this interview, but but, um, I'm huge on asking the Lord, you know, if it be thy will, Mm. you know, um, Uh please make this happen, if it be thy will, O Lord, and man, I did that. (laughs) And that was Joe's review, like boom, boom. So, I mean, I think we were both, you know, I think, you might think it was your decision to do that, Joe, but I I have my own idea.
0: I know better. In fact, that's something I hope we get to talk about, because we often wonder where these little nudges come from. We think it's a conscious mind, then we're going, well, maybe not.
1: Exactly.
0: Before we go too deep here, I introduced you as, as a researcher in the field of self-directed neuroplasticity, and I'm sure a few people cocked their heads, going, "What yeah, does that sure. mean?" That's so a we mouthful, better isn't it? Clean up the <laughs> definition here.
1: Okay, so you, you know the key word there, I mean, the, the term I coined is self-directed. I put the self-directed, you know, but yeah. the, ter- the term neuroplasticity, and that turns out to be, you know, I, I think quite important.
0: Mm-hmm. But the term
1: neuroplasticity, which really just means, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with plastic in the, it does in a certain, you know, technical sense. But, I mean, mm-hmm. in, in a medical, in the medical literature, the word plastic just means changeable. You know, I, I mean, as if a piece of plastic, you know, you can mold it this way, you can mold it that way. So, I mean, the word plastic really just means moldable. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, so neuroplasticity really is neuro moldability, as you will. I mean, it means, you know, you can mold the brain, you can change the brain. And, and it's, a ma- it's, it's a major, major subject in the field of neuroscience. It's been studied very, very intensively um, in the last uh, 10 to 15 years at, at every possible level. And, and, in fact, a Nobel Prize, you know, has been awarded um, in medicine um, mm-hmm. for the study of neuroplasticity.
0: Well, it's exciting because what it implies is that we have a lot more control, a lot more power, a lot more flexibility, a lot more options than we ever thought before.
1: And that's my—that's where I come in.
0: And I love it. Your book, The Mind and the Brain, the one that I I read in 2002, and I still think it was the best book I read in 2002, was one of the most inspiring books because you were talking about the power of mental force, meaning, as I would put my words on it, is that we can use our intention to... Awakened the brain to do things that wasn't particularly designed at first to do. Is that is that correct? Okay, there is
1: there definitely is that, Mm -hmm. and of course in a medical in a medical setting, um, you know, I mean, I'm you know I'm a physician and you know and I'm a psychiatrist and Mm -hmm. and um, so in a medical setting, of course, what you really you know become particularly interested in is you know how can you help people who have deficits in function either yeah. inborn genetic or you know or acquired you know the big 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 example there being stroke i mean i mean that, i would say that's the neurological condition in in which neuroplasticity and self-directed neuroplasticity has been you know very 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 intensively studied and you know in 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 both the new book and and in and in the mind and the brain at two very different levels i mean let me just you know warn the readers you know i mean I certainly appreciate your your compliment on on uh, you know the 2002 book, uh, but you know that book is not an easy book. So I mean, that's not a book for you know just anybody to pick up. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you, you got to really be into science to, mm-hmm. to to enjoy that book. I mean, there's a lot of science in it. Not true of the new book. I mean, right. so I mean, I do. I really want to say that we were really, really focused, careful lot of intention, a lot of care, to make sure there is absolutely nothing in in the new book "You Are Not Your Brain" that isn't easy to understand and pragmatically useful.
0: And so, that's what our conversation is about today. I, I wanted to just applaud you for the book. I, I do love the mind and the brain, and the science doesn't bother me. I'm personally fascinated with neuroscience, and neuroplasticity is in my field because I'm in this self-help and self-directed and self-empowerment field. So anything that that gives me ammunition there, I'm in love with.
1: Self-empowerment is a great, great word because
0: self-directed
1: neuroplasticity is a form of self-empowerment. Absolutely. In fact, I think it's the basis of a large part of how self-empowerment becomes actualized.
0: Interesting. Well, what we're really focused on is this new book, which you, uh, obviously, I've already given the title, You Are Not Your Brain, and it's the four-step solution for changing bad habits, ending unhealthy thinking, and taking control of your life. And I wanted my listeners to hear about this one because this is an easy, practical, when I say easy, there are some steps in here that are challenging.
1: Well, they're hard to do, but they're not hard to understand. I mean, the other book was actually, there were
0: chunks of it, let's be candid, I mean, that are
1: not easy to understand. I mean, Mm. you know, the other book is really, you know, it's for senior high school, uh, honor students in science, and and, and college students, you know, who are are studying, you know, neuroscience. This book is absolutely not that. I mean, there's nothing hard to understand in, in You Are Not Your Brain. However, let's, you know, it's like anything. I mean, you could take a cookbook, understand everything in it, but you know it doesn't mean that you're not going to have to practice to be able to make the dish fantastically well. I mean, you know, it, so it's like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's not exactly. hard to
1: understand, but you've you got to practice to be able to do it well.
0: Well, we're going to go through those four steps uh, enough for people to understand it, and then I'm going to, of course, uh, encourage everybody to read the book, You Are Not Your Brain, to fully get the the concept. But I want to back up. W- what led you to write this book? What was the inspiration or the need or the request? or okay, What kind or, of what, it?
1: <laughs> it's kind of we've kind of said it in this conversation a, a, a bit. It, it, it kind of comes right out. But I, okay, so my first book, you know, which came out in in '96, uh, you know, is is also a very simple book. I mean, it's called Brain Lock. But that book, which you know, hey, praise the Lord, ha, has been. You know, I've been very, very fortunate um, that that book has has been. You know, the leading selling self help book for people who have a specific condition called obsessive compulsive disorder. You know, since I was on Oprah, I mean, I was on Oprah in 97 for that book, and and when when that book came out in 96, I was interviewed by Charles Gibson on Good Morning America the first week. There was a 2020 segment with Barbara Walters, you know, on it. I mean, there there was an article in the New York Times. I mean, you know, it it got a lot of coverage, and it took off, and, you know, it kind of never stopped. I mean, it's really been selling very, very, very steadily. You know ever since then it's in its fifty third printing now. my
0: goodness, congratulations from one author to another that's that's a home run not, so, yeah I
1: mean not congratulations you know, for I, that I was you know very fortunate with that book so so um but you know i mean. It's really for people who have, you know, a specific condition, you know, mm. by and large. And, you know, obsessive-compulsive disorder is a very interesting thing. I would say one of the best ways to learn about obsessive-compulsive disorder is to actually get the movie The Aviator, you mm. know, starring Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, you, you know, I did work very, very closely with him. Um, if, mm-hmm. if you if you go on YouTube and just type in, you know, my name, Dr. Jeffrey Schwartz, and you are not your brain, you'll see a clip that I did at the UN um, followed by an interview, you, you know, which I described my work with him. And, you know, and, and it's absolutely – there's a half hour on the second bonus DVD. So I think if you get it, like, from Netflix, you have to, like – you probably have to get the, the second DVD, like, by mm-hmm. buying the, the set or something. But, but the film is about Howard Hughes from Texas, mm-hmm. um, who had terrible, terrible obsessive-compulsive disorder. And, mm-hmm. and the film is, you know, significantly about – how obsessive-compulsive disorder, you know, led to the demise of Howard Hughes. And and I worked very, very closely with Leonardo DiCaprio on that film. And then on the bonus DVD, there's a half hour with about five of my patients, Leonardo DiCaprio, Martin Scorsese, um, and, and, in fact, the chairman of my psychiatry department, Peter Weibrow, in which we discuss... You know how we you know worked to portray obsessive compulsive disorder and it's a and it's a very good way to learn about obsessive compulsive disorder very user friendly but I mean what we wanted to do of course you know for you know is make is write a book you know abs- OCD, which is is the acronym, is it affects about one person in in fifty, maybe a little bit more. So it's certainly not a rare condition. But I mean, we wanted to write a book that a hundred percent of people, yeah, you, you know, would would have an interest in and and use the same method. And and because we, you know, there was science there, we had really demonstrated the the efficacy of this method to get people who have a serious medical condition to change their brain. I mean, I knew I had something very solid to work with. I wrote the Mind in the Brain to really show the science is rock solid. I mean that—that's what the Mind in the Brain do, does: is, is show that there's there's rock solid science supporting this. And then, you know, we wanted to turn it into a book for everybody. Mm. And I, I was very, very fortunate that one of my star students, who I've known since she was an undergraduate, um, Doctor, now Doctor Rebecca Glading, who Finished. Um, she was the chief resident in psychiatry at UCLA the year before last. I've known her since she was an undergraduate. I, in fact, wrote her recommendation letter for medical school, and, and she got into University of California, San Francisco, one of the, the great medical schools in, in the country. Came back to UCLA and did her residency in psychiatry. Became the chief resident. And during that time, you know, we we said, you know, hey, we we, we got obviously got back. In touch, and, and I suggested, because she always had been saying to me, since she was an undergraduate, you know she really wanted to write a book, I mean she wanted to be a, a physician writer, and I said, "Hey, like let's write a book, you know and um, she was all for it, and uh, I have a very, very good agent, Susan Rabiner, um, who took on the project, and you know I, again, I think we wrote a wonderful book, and we' worked did. together to do that.
0: That is fantastic. Well, you did uh, create something for the masses, because who doesn't have a brain? You are not. Your brain signals something in itself. There's a message there that I want to talk about in a minute. Uh, Before we go into all of this, how long have you been uh, practicing the the four-step solution? In other words, how long has this been tested? How many people has it been tested on? So we establish that this works, and we establish that for everybody listening, that this is something they should be uh, learning and then doing.
1: Okay, so it's a good story. I mean, and it's it's told actually in the in the beginning of of um, the mind and the brain. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because so the four steps is the we we modified the four steps somewhat to make it for everyone. I mean, we changed you know one of the steps to make it more generally applicable. But I mean, the book Brain Lock is the four steps. So I mean, that book was published in in nineteen. 19- 96 and I you know took me about six seven years of work to you know get the first book out so I mean this Mm. is this goes back to the 80s and and it goes it goes back to the early days as I like to say as a joke I was very very young when we were doing that work I mean it's amazing how young a person could do work like that but but I (laughs) (laughs) so it's over it's going on 30 years and and um Mm. and uh we were using brain imaging. I mean, we were the first group at UCLA um, to really use what is, you know. It's still it's still a, a form of brain imaging that's used, positron emission tomography, but the the functional aspects of it have, for cost efficiency reasons, largely been dis- displaced um, for studying brain metabolism by by functional. Uh, magnetic resonance imaging or fmri i mean there's just thousands and thousands and thousands of papers on that now but in in those days this is before fmri was was developed we were using that kind of brain imaging which is the acronym is pet or pet i mean um to, to study brain metabolism in in just regular people and at ucla in the 80s we did really the first systematic psychiatric study of you know brain imaging um in Medical in, a, in, in in mental health in in in, in well defined psychiatric disorder and and I came up with the idea and and this whole story actually is is told in in the mind and the brain so you, so you know this is 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 I came up with the idea because I was very very interested in mindfulness i mean as as you read in my bio i mean I've, I started doing very serious mindfulness practice in in the summer between my first and second year of, of medical school, which was in 1975, so I was, you know, really one of the younger, youngest medical students, you know, on record. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's all a joke. I was just a regular, you can figure out that I'm about to turn 60 in three months from these dates <laughs> if you're good in arithmetic. So, right. so, um, so I started doing mindfulness um, practice in a very, very serious way in the summer of 1975, cool. and... Um, so by the mid-80s, you know, I had been doing this for, for 10 years and, and um, was very, very serious about it. It really became a foundational part of my entire life. And I was looking for a condition where we could, you know, really apply mindfulness and show that we could change the brain because I would, I really wanted to show that the mind as a non-material reality, and now we're getting into the title, You Are Not Your Brain, that the mind as a non-material reality, and for, med- for medical purposes. What I mean by that is our capacity to focus our attention, our capacity to make choices, to make decisions, and expend effort. That turns out to be a very, very, very important word that we can expend effort to direct our attention in in wholesome ways and overcome our maladaptive brain circuitry. And it turned out that obsessive compulsive disorder was a very good way to study that. And I developed these four steps you know, relabel, reattribute, which we now change to reframe to make it more general. Um, refocus, which is the dynamic step. I mean, it's about mm-hmm. focusing your attention and then revaluing, changing the value of your experience to make it more adaptive, so that your attention gets focused in more adaptive ways. So, you know, I developed those steps in um, you know the late 80s, and and um, and started working with people with obsessive compulsive disorder. And we wrote a major paper in 1992 that was published in, by the American Medical Association in you know the American Medical Association Psychiatry Journal, Archives of General Psychiatry. And so that was the first paper that really showed that a systematic psychotherapy approach using this cognitive approach to psychotherapy that I had developed using mindfulness, the four steps, Um, So that was published in 1992 by the American Medical Association. And then we followed that study up with a repeat study. I mean, in science, you really show it once, but then you want to show it again. So in 1996, we published a completely new second study um, that was also published by the American Medical Association um, in in Archives of General Psychiatry. And that paper was co-published in late February of '96 um, with, with BrainLock. So that's part of the reason it attracted so much attention is because we, we published a book, a, a user-friendly self-help book, at, you know, and a major paper in the American Medical Association Journal you know, at the, about the same time. And, um,
0: so, yeah, there's a very
1: strong foundation. For,
0: yeah, this is for, overwhelming for evidence for this material. And you ran through the four steps. I'm going to get you to slow down in a minute and go through them, but I have some other questions that lead up to it. And they may be off the wall, but I've got to ask, do you think you could have helped uh, Howard Hughes?
1: Well, I I answer that question. I mean, I'm doing promo on a movie that's you know over five years old here, but you know, I mean, yeah. hopefully Leo will. Leo gave us an endorsement on the back of the book, so I, I certainly I owe a Leo it. a favor there. The, very, you know, I mean, I mean, I really, really appreciated that. So, so, um, you know, yeah, I mean, I answer that question on you know in the, in that half hour um, on on the bonus DVD. But the, the answer is absolutely yes, and and and. Mm to say very specifically why I mean two two main points about Howard Hughes I mean Howard Hughes was you know he was a genius he was a business genius no I mean no no question I mean in fact he's kind of the archetype of a certain kind of high-tech entrepreneurial business genius and 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 linked to that was was his tremendous willpower I mean he had a tremendous capacity to focus his attention when he chose to that there's the big problem because he you know he didn't have the insight about what was going on with him to get him to focus his, his attention properly and then the other big thing i feel i could have absolutely used to help him was that he was he had a real comfort level with engineering mm-hmm. and and because of you know his great love his passion for, for airplanes and and his and his passion for the discipline of piloting airplanes i don't think it would have been all that difficult to get him to realize hey you know what howard you know your brain is like an airplane with the navigation systems not working well he never figured that out and that is not unusual
0: people with obsessive
1: compulsive disorder often do not figure out what's going on with them and they never really reframe
0: to change
1: their perspective on how to focus their attention by realizing that their navigation system isn't working well.
0: Uh, I, I love that, and I love that you used that image, because I can imagine Howard Hughes making sense of that.
1: Absolutely. That, he that would I'm, I'm, I'm
0: essentially positive he would have made sense of that. Wow. Well, I and nobody you know, ever did that.
1: I mean, right. you know, nobody had ever thought of it that way before.
0: Yeah, and that's why the importance of reframe, and that's step two in this. And again, we'll go through the four steps. But your, uh, your, the actor gave you, Leonardo DiCaprio gave you the quote, where he says, a testament to mind over brain, is the truth of the matter that sheer willpower can truly make you break free. Now, I have a tiny little problem with willpower. You used the phrase already. Here it is on the back of your book. When I was reading a lot of books in self-help and early psychology back in the 1970s, I remember coming across the line from a psychologist so I'm not going to remember it today. Uh, he said, when mental imagery and willpower get in a fight, mental imagery always wins.
1: I I I tend to agree with that. Yes.
0: Okay, I do, so we're I, do talking I, mean, about... I, I do tend to agree with that. All right, that's a largely a true will... statement. But what is willpower then? What's the definition of willpower here?
1: Okay, that's a great question and and uh, and in fact I have if you go if you I hate to do I'm not like Mr. Promo, but you know, here no, comes no, we, another we love promo, promo here. Give um, us promo. <laughs> if you go to my speaking agent site, which is the Bright Sight Group, B-R-I-G-H-T-S-I-G-H-T-Group.com. I mean, I have a great speaking agent, Tom Nielsen, who heads up the Bright Sight Group. And if you go to my page on the Bright Sight Group um, Uh, keynote speaker. I mean, they sponsor Uh keynote speakers. That's what he represents me for. And if you go to my page on that website, there is a six minute video Mm -hmm. that was taken of me speaking at the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida, Mm -hmm. in which I Answer that question in some, in some, again, easy accessible. I was talking for the Department of Neurology at the Mayo Clinic in, in Jacksonville, Florida, but that segment was specifically picked out by, by Tom and, and the BrightSight people, you know, to be very user friendly. And mm-hmm. and I answer that question in, in a six in a six minute clip. And and just to get into like the core of it, the core of it comes from William James. William yeah. James, of course, is the father. Of, of of modern psychology and, and you know, one of the great, great thinkers in American history. And um he wrote a book in that was published in eighteen ninety called Principles of Psychology. Mm-hmm. And um in that book there is a very, very important chapter that's actually the last I think it's the last chapter, um, on, on the will, on volition. And in that chapter, he defines, has a statement that I, I believe is one of the most under-recognized, underutilized, deep insights in the history of psychology. A very simple statement.
0: Wow, volitional
1: attention, volitional effort. Volitional effort is effort of attention. Volitional effort is effort of attention. And so that becomes an operational definition for what willpower is. The, the willpower is the effort that you make to direct your attention Mm. and and i mean it's a very very deep insight and 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 you know william james you know really utilizes it and as i point out in the in in that video in eighteen ninety two you know Principles of Psychology is a massive, massive yeah. book, and, and so immediately in 1892, two years later, he, he came out with an abridged edition called Psychology, a Briefer Course, which is much more user-friendly, mm. and the only thing in the whole book that is expanded, everything else is, is markedly abridged, the only thing in the whole book that's expanded is his treatment of this Insight, volitional effort really? is effort of attention. Th- that's how important he thought it was. Because there is an operational, medically applicable, user-friendly mm. definition of a concept that a lot of people think is metaphysical. What does it mean? Yeah. It means the effort that you make to direct your attention adaptively. That's what, that's what willpower well that's what willpower used in a productive way does and of course mental images can work yeah. against you or for you right i mean that's what so one of the things we're trying to do is get your mental images to work for you so that it enhances your capacity to direct your attention adaptively which translates into Enhances your capacity to use your willpower effectively to help yourself. There is there's the dynamic element of your self empowerment program.
0: I love it. I love it. Well, you know your title. You are not your brain. Well, yep. what am I if I'm not my brain? What are you talking okay, to here
1: now? For you, when you ask me that question, Joe, it's a friendly question,
0: and uh, yes. I can give a friendly <laughs> answer. Right,
1: <laughs> my, right. A lot of people in the uh, in the professional circles that I uh, go around in and have for yeah. quite a few years now, quite a few decades now, when they ask that question, it's not asked with quite the friendly tone
0: well, yeah.
1: <laughs> that you just asked that. Uh-huh. And um,
0: well, I'm genuinely I try, curious.
1: I try as a person who's trying to be a good Christian to not let that influence the tone of my
0: answer. <laughs> 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 I don't
1: always succeed. Uh-huh. Jesus help me.
0: So, so, um,
1: so, so here we go. Um, okay we originally wanted to call the book to avoid controversy mm. don't believe everything you think uh. and you know my co-author and my agent we thought hey this is a great title it's, we want this to be a mass market book i mean this mm-hmm. is a great mass market title don't believe everything you think now i mean the book could certainly be called that i mean it's largely about don't believe everything you think mm-hmm. And. You know, my publisher is fantastic. I, they did a wonderful job on this book. I mean, I think you could easily testify the book is a beautiful package. I mean, oh, it's it,
0: wonderful, yeah. First and life.
1: um but they, you know, I mean Avery Penguin, you know, they 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 didn't want such a, you know, sort of, I don't know mm. what we sometimes call in Hollywood, a high concept, you know, title. I mean they they wanted a more edgy title and mm. and 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 um, you know, You Are Not Your Brain happened <laughs> to be the name of the first chapter of the book, and they said right you know then any author knows um you know until you get to a level that's far above where I am at you know the the author the author has to basically do what the publisher says at a contractual level about title and um you know so they wanted the title you are not your brain i mean it's a very edgy title um and you know hopefully it captures people's attention, but you know, it you know, that said, it, it, it really is a functional equivalent of don't believe everything you think, because I mean, mm. answered in a friendly way, it, it's simply saying that the effort that you make to direct your attention is not determined by your material being. Mm. You know, I mean, for, for those of us who are not hardcore, <laughs> rabid materialists, you know, which is the mm-hmm. large majority of people in this country, but certainly a very small minority, a very, very, very small minority in, 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 in uh, scientific elites. I mean, you know, we, I mean, I'm not going to start doing culture, you know, culture conflict stuff here unless you push me that way, Joe. But I mean, you know, we're in a culture conflict, and a big part of the culture conflict is the conflict between the the, 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 the huge majority of Americans who believe that we are not just our material being. You know, that, that, that there's a mm-hmm. spiritual being that we all participate and have and is in us and is real, and a conflict between the, those who have that view and a small, elite, scientific, very small minority, but very powerful. They completely control the funding decisions at the National Institute of Health, and even more specifically at the National Institute of Drug Abuse and the National Institute of Mental Health. And those people insist with fundamentalist ferocity mm. that you are nothing but matter mm. and that your brain is everything. And so, you know, it's certainly an edgy title to say, you know, I've been fighting against that. And I use that word advisedly. I've been struggling against that worldview for my entire professional career wow. going on, you know, four decades
0: and, well, um, I, I, I love the title, and there's an implication in the title itself that gives you power, because as soon as you realize you are not your brain, you're finally, for that moment, you are separate from your brain, and now you're something that can do something about your brain, amen. whatever you want to call that.
1: Amen, Joe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, well, let's go through your four steps here in, in a way that people can understand, and just to remind you, these people that are listening don't necessarily have OCD, that they, they may be not doing some of the things they want to do, whether it is putting up a that's website or up a That's the difference
1: between 100% of people and 2% of people. I mean, honestly, just on general statistical, you know, 2% of the people who, who are listening to this probably do have obsessive-compulsive disorder, just on a general statistical awareness. You know, I mean, that's, that research has been done again and again and again and again. But this book is for 100% of people, not right. 2% of people.
0: And I was trying to bring up a couple examples, though. What are common things that people might be struggling with? Okay, so let me give you an example
1: that really, you know, that I didn't even know that I would end up using it for that has Mm. become a major part of my life in the last Mm. year. During the latter part of of working on on, on this book, I mean, you know, I knew that my blood sugar was kind of creepy, getting a little creeping up there, and... um, You know, it was one of these things like, oh, someday it'll get better, you know, I don't want to think about it, you know. But, I mean, about a a little less than a year ago, um, I went in for my, you know, routine annual physical and, you know, the blood sugar came back at 150 and the doctor was going, Jeff, it's time to do something about this. And, um, you know, I was starting to get like tingling in my feet and, uh, you know, I clearly had early onset diabetes and only a fool would, uh, you know, keep denying it, but we're all fools at that level. Uh-huh. And so he said to me, it's time to take some medicine, Jeff. Mm-hmm. And I'm so, going, you know, I don't want to take medicine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So I started mm-hmm. <laughs> speaking to, to my colleagues, you know, about what was going on, and numbers of my colleagues said, Jeff, it can be controlled by diet. I mean, you know, to use that word, you've got to use willpower, but if you use the willpower, it can be controlled by diet. Mm-hmm. And I said, well... I'm going to do that. And so I started applying this method. You know, relabel says put an accurate label on what you're doing. You know, don't lie to yourself. Give an accurate description. Now, once once you make the decision that I have got to cut down my sugar intake, mm-hmm. I started putting a label, which I never used to do. Now, I'm I, you know, I'm – I never had, you know, significant weight problems. I've always been very health conscious. I've been working out, you know, mm-hmm. my entire life. I mean, nobody would say I was in bad shape for, you know, a guy who was, you know, about to turn 59 at that time. And, 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 uh, and yet, you know, my blood sugar was just way too high. So you, you have to start putting a label, you know, is, what's the sugar in this? Jeff, before you put this in your mouth, is how much sugar is in this? And so I started to be mindful of it. I started to be much, much more mindful of something that I used to just not think about. Uh You know, I I was never a high-fat guy. I was always, you know, basically careful about what I ate. I mean, Uh you know, but but I didn't think a lot about sugar, you know, except in those obvious ways. You know what I'm saying? A little candy, a little of this, everything in moderation, you know, Uh Moderation Nation. You know, like my good friend Ed Martin at the Hershey's Companies likes to talk about, um, but I was always with that program, you know, mm-hmm. you know, unconsciously or, you know, by just natural. But now it was, you know, now you have to be aware. Mm-hmm. Well, how much sugar is in this before you put it in your mouth? Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, that, and I started, it wasn't even very hard once I started to pay attention to it. And then, and then you reframe. The second step is reframe. And it, it has two main aspects to it. So we have two chapters on on the reframe uh, step. And the first part of it is really your brain is sending you a false message. And we we all develop habits. I mean, a lot of this method is about changing habits. And if if there's any aspect of our behavior which is hugely um, influenced by habit, it's eating. Mm. And so, you know, we develop habits without even thinking about it where our brain is just pushing us towards eating certain things without thinking about it and And you know when you start saying hey you know i don 't really need to eat this i don 't really particularly want to eat this, not really and okay, and then there are the times when you do, and that's you know that 's when we have to like get a little sort of higher level about it but but the, you know y- your brain is 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 dictating a lot of 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 what you 're doing, certainly at the eating level and, and and many many other levels as well, and when you bring in that awareness. You go, hey, reframe, you know, there's a, there's a lot of sugar in this, you know, you, don't really, you can eat something else now. Mm-hmm. Um, the second aspect of, of um, the reframe Reframing. step is the cognitive aspect. And two of the main aspects of the cognitive aspect, which, which I derived from my very close friend, David Burns um, at Stanford, who mm-hmm. also gave us a wonderful endorsement, are, you know, all or none thinking. Um, and, and, and negative prediction. And one of the big ways of all and unthinking thinking that we all could use all the time is like you're, you're basically saying, you know, if I don't eat this, I don't want anything. Well, this is nonsense. I mean, you know, you cannot eat this and eat something else that you can enjoy. I mean, it's not this or nothing. You know, it's this or something that's, you know, more adaptive, this or something that, that's healthier and and. and you know, and then make a positive awareness, uh, you know, change the negative demeanor to a positive demeanor mm-hmm. and say, I'm going to feel better. I'm going I'm to, you know, get that blood sugar down. I'm going I'm to be more, I'm going to be healthier. There, there's your reframe step. And then we get to the critical refocus step. Mm-hmm. Focus on something in that refrigerator that has less sugar in it or, sure. you, you know, or, or on that shelf or, you know, I mean, you know, I mean. And one of the things I did right away, I used to eat, drink a lot of fruit juice. Now, most people don't go, oh, fruit juice, what a terrible thing. Fruit juice is not a terrible thing. Fruit juice is a basically okay thing. Mm-hmm. But if you have a too high blood sugar, you just got to cut down your fruit
0: juice. Mm-hmm. You just have to. Exactly. I
1: mean, fruit juice is very high in sugar. So it's not that I don't drink fruit juice, but I dilute it now. I mm-hmm. take a little bit of fruit juice. I measure it in a shot glass. to tell you the truth, 50 cc's. Of uh, or thirty, if you want, you got the thirty and the fifty, and you know either one ounce or, or, or fifty cc's. Fruit juice mix in some, not too much, but there you go. I mean, this is where the diet Snapple have helped me. Mm-hmm. You know, some diet Snapple, fill the rest with water. So you know, you have a hundred cc's, you know, but about three ounces, right? You fill the rest with water. To me, it makes a wonderful drink. Now, now I enjoy it more. Mm-hmm. You know, just doing that, you know, really helped me. And and it's it's a whole pattern of just. Eating less sugar, and now I've really come to revalue. I mean, so when you change your focus and do it regularly, that's what changes your brain, and that's where the whole quantum element of this. I mean, that's the quantum mechanics. I mean, that's the deep theory. That yes, it's very very deep, and I have some stuff on my website that is really for PhD people, you know, to explain you know how it works at the deep you know scientific level. But for it's for any user friendly thing. You know, the quantum mechanics simply says how you direct your attention rewires your brain, and that is a scientific fact based on strong scientific theory that is grounded in deep quantum mechanical reasoning. You you do that regularly, you know, and you come to revalue what you Mm. eat. Now things that I used to think were good, you go, oh, that's too sweet.
0: You know, you've literally
1: changed your taste for, you know, how much sweetness you like, and it happens pretty fast, especially when, when you, you, you're, you're, you're putting it in the context of it being helpful and adaptive and you're giving yourself positive feedback. You know, it's very important that you give yourself you know, support and say you're doing a good thing, and, hey, great when you can go back to the doctor. And a scant three months later, my, my blood sugar had gone from 150 to about 115, doctor mm. said, keep it up, Jeff, keep it up. Whatever you're <laughs> doing is working.
0: Right, you know, otherwise, right. he would have been saying, you better take that
1: medicine, Jeff. Gave it another three months, and again, praise the Lord, down to normal, down that to normal. So I do not have diabetes as I'm sitting here speaking to you right now.
0: Awesome. Congratulations, and that's a great <laughs> illustration. But I need to ask you a couple things here. Before you went into the four steps and step ones, relabel, step twos, reframe, step threes, refocus, step is revalue, it's all explained in the book, and we'll explain it a little bit more as we have time. You made a decision. Amen. There was a decision before That's all critical. of this. critical,
1: absolutely critical.
0: So in other words, you had to become aware, and in this case, the doctor made you aware of a potential problem. Um, Is that true? I guess it's true for everybody, right? You have to become aware that there's something you want to do. Okay,
1: we deal with that in the book a great deal. Um, A lot of us, you know, aware is not, you know, an all-or-none thing. There's another, you know, there's a really good reframe. Awareness is not an all-or-none thing. Hmm. What we want to do is enhance the amount of awareness we have. We want to take awareness that it's at a very low level, and and my you know my favorite philosopher is Kierkegaard, and what one of the things that Kierkegaard stresses is that uh, we all we all live in a mental world in which we try, because of our sin nature, to not be aware of things we know we should be aware of. It's mm. it, it, we're born this way, right? I mean, uh, this is. Everyone is like that, and that's, and that's where the effort comes in because, because you'll, you'll, you'll learn, you see how things that you're sort of vaguely aware, you know, you're, you're distracting yourself, you're telling yourself the little white lie, you know, and then when you start to make a decision, I need to improve this, you start to be more candid, you start to be more honest with yourself, and you start enhancing your awareness, increasing your awareness. Mm. So awareness is itself a very plastic, fluid, moldable thing. I mean, and you know, and it, you know, obviously from the spiritual, you know, perspective, you know, certainly from the Christian perspective, we don't want to get haughty. It's not
0: just us, right. but you
1: know, you got to work with the Holy Spirit. I mean, you got to, you know, you got to listen. You got, you, you, mm. you, you got to take the positive input and, and and go with what's good and and you know, and not let that fallen angel control things so much
0: you know I love all so of this. let me ask you you use the phrase uh, throughout the book deceptive brain messages right and i in my own work in my own books probably would have said limiting beliefs or negative beliefs and i know with your research and uh, education experience you chose this phrase for a reason deceptive brain messages can you tell me what that is
1: yes i mean that's uh... That's a very, that question is very well framed. I mean, that, you're asking that very well. And, we, okay, I made that decision, we made that decision, because that decision was definitely made in, in conjunction with my co-author, mm-hmm. Becky Gladding, I mean, who had, you know, been working with this, this method, you know, since she was, you know, an undergraduate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've been talking in this conversation about how important it is for us to realize we're not determined by our brain. And, and my whole method for obsessive-compulsive disorder was hinged on telling people, which in obsessive-compulsive disorder, it's very easy to do because, I mean, in obsessive-compulsive disorder, people basically realize I'm getting an urge to wash again and again and again and again. I mean, I'm damaging my skin. I'm, you know, taking hours of my day. I mean, checking things again and again and again. And when we did the brain scans, you know, in the 80s and the 90s, we showed that there was a specific brain circuit in the brain that wasn't working right, that which was why people were getting these very intrusive, very bothersome, ridiculous, you know, terrible thoughts. And so from the very beginning, going back to the 80s, I mean, I was telling people as a result of those brain imaging studies, you know, that's just your brain sending you a false message. So that... That became my, you know, my trademark, my brand, Mm -hmm, you know, that mm -hmm. that I would teach people when you get an urge to do something that you don't want to do, that's your brain sending you a false message. But then, philosophically, you know, again, being against the materialist worldview, it worked great because we're now living in a culture where everything's supposed to be the brain, you know? Mm -hmm. You you know, everything's supposed to come from the brain. I mean, I don't particularly 100% agree with that. One of the insights that William James had that he writes about at length in his philosophical work is that you know, our higher selves, and, and you know, including, including the Lord, might well be working through our brains. So the uh, brain becomes sort of an intermediary between whew, ourselves and, 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 and things way, way, way above us. But there's still stuff going on with the brain, so right. the, so using the brain as the model, yeah, William James is assertive about that and 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 um the, that using the brain as a model to better understand that you know you're not your bad feelings, you're not your bad thoughts, you're not your bad desires. If you choose to identify with that, you will be that, but there's that choice, there's that decision, you know using the term deceptive brain message, and this is a big part of the book, and we go into yeah. pretty significant detail in the book, that you're trying to find your true self. Yeah. And you're trying to tr- you tr- find your true self by what we call the wise advocate. The wise advocate is a key, key part of the book. And, and wise mm-hmm. advocate, it, it's very much similar to, to, to mindful awareness, very related to mindful awareness very, very related to the notion of the Holy Spirit in, in, in Christianity, that, mm. that, that you have something inside you or a capacity to direct your mind that goes above what your brain is sending you. But you still have to make the decision to listen to it, to pay attention, to go with the good and not with the bad, to go with the wholesome and not the unwholesome. And, and calling it a deceptive brain message is a way that we came up with to make people realize This doesn't have to be yourself. It might be your brain, and it might be your brain right now, but your brain can change. That's what neuroplasticity means. And your brain can change through focused attention, and you make decisions about that. That's what self-directed neuroplasticity means. The decisions you make about how to focus your attention changes your brain. And when you call it a deceptive brain message and understand it as a deceptive brain message, it enhances your ability to not view it as yourself, it might be part of yourself right now, but that's because you're giving into it. That's because you're acceding to it. That's because because you're you're accepting that is this is myself. That's changeable, and it, it's changeable by by having a higher concept of what the self is is capable of, and being the self you want to be, and using your wise advocate to direct you to to become the self you want to be. And so the the, the deceptive brain message concept interfaces with the wise advocate true self concept by saying. Your brain is sending you a lot of bad messages that are not the self you want to be. Focus on the self you want to be. Form mental images and direct your willpower in ways that enhance your capacity to become your, the self you want to be. And when you direct your attention that way, your brain will become the brain you want it to be. And those deceptive brain messages will diminish markedly and often go away.
0: This is so exciting, Dr. Swartz. I, I'm, well, I'm just thrilled with all these things that you're saying and feeling so empi- empowered and inspired.
1: It's about it's, empowerment, Joe. It's you know, about empowerment. It is. Empowerment. I hear you. I
0: hear you. There's so many more things I want to talk to you about, but we're running out of time. If somebody right now, could you give me a real quick example? If somebody is not doing something they want to do, and we can make up something. They, they want to open a website, but they keep uh, you know, Procrastinating. going shopping know Exactly.
1: It's, it's It's all about re. Labeling, so that you notice when you are distracting yourself, you notice when you 're procrastinating, because there 's been a lot of research that 's been done even in the last ten years, and we we review it in the book. Um, that shows if you put an accurate label language turns out to be very very helpful and it turns out that one of the most powerful things we can do is just be honest with ourselves if you're procrastinating just say okay right now I'm procrastinating be aware of it there's your awareness and and be aware of what you're doing you don't have to be perfect we're all fallen We all, you know, none of us does what we're supposed to do most of the time, right? I mean, what we're trying to do is increase, enhance our capacity to do what we really want to do to live up to our true self. And one of the best ways to start doing that is to be honest with yourself and label and say, right now I'm doing something else, but, you know, let me do this whenever. Let me get back to where I want to go. Let me be aware of where I'm trying to go. And then and then you get into the reframe step in which you say, you know, these are deceptive brain messages. The reason why I'm, you know, putting this off, the reason why I'm getting distracted over here is because my brain is sending me a false message. I mean, you know, these are my habitual brain patterns. That are, are, they're no longer the self I want to be. They no longer are the circuits that are creating the self that I want to be. And then you see the cognitive distortions that you use to keep doing it. All or on thinking
0: Oh, well, you know, it's never
1: going to work anyway. You know, I mean, that's going to be a failure. Negative prediction. You know, catastrophic thinking. You know, a whole list of, of easy to understand, user-friendly cognitive distortions that we all use as excuses to not focus our attention the right way. You correct those distortions. You say, if I do the work, I'll get the outcome. If if I direct my attention well, I'll change my brain. I don't have to feel like this. This is all changeable. Nothing here is permanent. This is all Changeable by how I focus my attention. And when you start a little at a time, a little at a time, you have to give yourself that positive feedback. There's a whole lot in there about what we call the four A's, where you have to you know, have affection for yourself. You have to pay attention to things that help yourself. You have to give yourself approval. You have to allow yourself to, to you know, become better and understand you know, and, and, and even have a term that I don't love, but it's, you know, there's a professor there in Austin who I know you're near that, that, that has done a lot with the, ter- the term self-compassion. I think you have to be a little careful with that, but use, use properly. Um, self-compassion is, is definitely part of this. It doesn't mean you cut yourself every break, and it doesn't mean you're not honest with yourself. But but you have to cut yourself a positive break that enhances your capacity to recognize, I can do better. I can be better than this. And, and you, you keep refocusing, and your whole value system starts to change. And you say, hey, I can do this. Things are working out. You, you know, there, there are absolutely positive benefits that i can see in the real world that are happening and then when you feel better about things you can see you're rewiring your brain your deceptive brain messages those circuits are being overwritten by positive brain messages by positive brain circuits that you are creating by adaptive focus of attention that's what it's about
0: that that's it I am just so delighted and so honored you've made the time to do this. I want to ask you one more question. That's another one that's off the wall, but you've mentioned prayer and faith and so so uh, things like that a couple times here. What is your stance on prayer? You, you talked about thy will be done as a part of it, but you also talked about asking for something as part of a prayer.
1: Okay, so, I mean, to just, you know, the most user-friendly, you know, aspects of theology. I mean, um... I'm a strong, strong, strong believer in prayer. Um, you know, you know, pray without ceasing is, you know, the, from Thessalonians is, you know, a very, very important... You know, I'm a, I'm a strong practitioner of Jesus' prayer meditation. It's, it's mm-hmm. my central meditation. Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Mm. Um, I like to say, and I even said this in Brain Lock, you know, way back when when I was more into the Buddhist aspects of mindfulness and I, 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 I think I've I'm very interested in integrating Buddhist aspects of mindfulness into a full Christian belief system. And I don't think it's that hard to do, but that's another huge subject, maybe for another right. time. But, sure. but the, the, the point here is, ask the Lord to help you direct your attention. Mm. Don't say, necessarily, I want this, Lord, give me this, Lord, give me this. You know, oh, Lord, why, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Right? I mean, you know, I mean, I'm not criticizing people at a certain point who go that way, but... You know, that's also a subject for another, another mm-hmm. discussion, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My approach to prayer is much more, Lord, help me do thy will. Lord, please help me become the self you want me to be. Mm. That, you know, and, uh, and that is, pr- you know, and literally work at praying that way without ceasing. I mean, if that's in your mind, you know, Lord, help me be the person that you want me to be. Lord, help me understand what you want me to do here. Lord, I help me it. understand what you want me to do here.
0: I love it. I've been talking to uh, Dr. Jeffrey Schwartz, author of Yes, You Can. Uh, not Yes, You Can. I'm sorry. I'm looking at your, your news <laughs> Well, really. it is.
1: Yes, You Can, because You Are Not Your Brain. Yes, yeah, You Can, yes, because You Are Not Your Brain. How the about book is <laughs> it? You
0: Are Not Your Brain, and go get the book. Is there a final thought, takeaway, a to-do you want people to go and... Well, uh, I
1: mean, there are two websites. I mean, you know, yeah. we have YouAreNotYourBrain.com, news.com. and we have Jeffrey M. Schwartz com. There's a lot of material on both of those websites. On Jeffrey M Schwartz, there's years of my stuff going back. Mm-hmm. Jeffrey J E F F R E Y M S C H W A R T Z dot com, and then of course you are not brain dot com, where we're updating and you know putting all new things on all the time.
0: And final thought for people?
1: Hey, final thought for people is you know work with the Lord and you know get your attention focused. You know the way you know you know it should be focused keep your eyes on the prize go with the direction that you wanna go that you know the lord wants you to go focus your attention in that way you will change your brain and your brain will no longer be working against you your brain will be working with you to live a better wholesome higher more community-based more loving compassionate life
0: you are doing god's work I am very impressed. I've been talking to Dr. Jeffrey Swartz, author of the book, You Are Not Your Brain. Drop everything and go get it. Learn the four steps and start using them right now.
1: Thanks Uh, for this opportunity, Joe. I really, really appreciate it. You've been an answer to prayer, no question.
0: uh, Godspeed to everybody. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Joe.